This episode is sponsored by Masterworks. Get priority access and join over 340,000 members on Masterworks with my unique link. Go to masterworks.art slash TDI. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. War! No longer do we have an invisible enemy. Stocks slammed on fear of escalation as oil blasts higher and yields come in as a prediction looks locked in. All this and much more on episode number 756 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Hello from the Horowitz Company Studios in sunny South Florida, Fort Lauderdale to be exact. It's been quite a week, actually, probably quite the two weeks, three weeks, I don't know, maybe four weeks. I'm Andrew Horowitz, and I'm the host of this fine show, founder and president of Horowitz & Company, where we manage money for everyday people, helping them get to where they want to be so that, well, you don't have to compete compulse and freak out and worry about every single move of the market, every single headline, which is what's going on right now and what we're going to touch on throughout this show today, because there's a lot of things that are happening that are providing some angst, I guess we could say. And we can laugh about it a little bit because we all realize, I mean, some of the things that are going on obviously are over there and we're looking at it in a way and projecting as if it could be coming here, which I'm not saying it can't. But the fact of the matter is that sometimes we look a little bit too deeply into something, making it much more than it is. And of course, I am not, by the way, not at all lessening the horrible situation that is going on in Ukraine, the humanitarian crisis, the war crimes that are being committed, all of that but we also have to put that in perspective. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for the markets? What does that mean for your portfolio? And what should you be doing in times like these? We have a really good lesson from history that provides us some guidance, provides a little bit of insight into what has happened before and how it looks sometime in the future. We're going to get to that. So... I think we'll start off by doing some compulsing, okay? I had uh, wanted to mention that in this week's DH Unplugged podcast, which is having some trouble on Apple Podcasts, I think it was just fixed this morning, though. I have to do a little bit more checking on that. We had the developers in on that. Not exactly sure what's going on. We'll give it to... Apple, send them a note, figure out what's happening. It's been going on fine with every other place, whether it's Spotify or Amazon, you name the places that hold podcasts these days. But um, I can tell you that I had several developers look at this. I'm not exactly sure what's going on with them. So hopefully the show today, the Discipline Investor Show, is going to go up without a hitch because I heard there are some issues. If you're having issues with your Apple Podcast app or po Apple Podcasts online or however you get your podcast from Apple. Maybe there's some other alternatives you want to look at utilizing a way to also get your podcast. For example, if you have Amazon Prime and you get the music app, there is a built-in area there where you can listen either through the app or online for any of these podcasts. Of course, Spotify has it as well, or 
um, Pod Chaser, Podcast Something or Other, this podcast. I mean, you can find it everywhere, right? So you're not locked in necessarily to Apple. Now, I'm not saying that Apple isn't convenient, especially if you have an iPhone, but for those people that don't have an iPhone and maybe want to look for an alternative, leaving something like Castro, great app to download and to listen to and even do some social media sharing of some of your fine podcasts that you have out there. But technology, you got to love it, you got to hate it. When it works great, it is a wonderful, beautiful thing. And when it doesn't, it is just disastrous, especially in times like where we are today when we rely so heavily on our technology, don't we? It's not like, well, I can go either that way and use the old-fashioned way, or I'll pick up a phone that I have that's hardwired in my house, or I'll use my cell phone. No, no, no. We gave up on a lot of these old line, old school types of instruments and old school technology. And now we are just using the new line. And therefore, if some of this goes down, it's a big problem. And when we think about technology and the idea of hating technology, we got to talk about what's going on in the market right now with those, those tech stocks, you know the ones that were going to take over and solve all of our problems because they did something different with technology that was never done before, making it so much easier for us to buy this medication with a click of a button. Because never before did we have the ability to just set up a pharmacy mail program. No, 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 we have to use an app. And therefore, we should provide for a 1,000 times negative earnings rate multiple to this company and let them come onto the market at $4 billion worth of market capitalization. Yes, that makes so much sense, doesn't it? Well, no. And we know that. We knew it at the time. You knew it. You knew it. You felt it. You saw it. But at the same time, that $4 billion market capitalization, when they came out in, through, in their IPO and throughout the markets, it went to 816. It went all the way up. And it was like, well, maybe it's a new paradigm that we're dealing with here. The idea that there is something different, but in fact, we know, no, not sustainable. These high multiple stocks that really rocked the world over the last several months, maybe even we'll call it uh, 18 months. They're not as high multiples anymore, are they? And I was thinking about all the different verbs that could be used to really describe what is going on right now. Things like obliterated, pounded, slammed, beat up, eviscerated, chewed in and spit out, cut in half, cut, cut down to a quarter. What we've seen happen right now is no different than what happened during the dot-com era. And in, during that time, there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of anguish. People really got hurt because they had this tremendous belief in the broad range of these ideas that really had no path to profitability. Now, might I say, there are some companies today that are being lumped into the idea of, hey, there's no possible profits ever for these companies. So let's just put all these new tech names in there and therefore just keep selling them until there's nothing left. I don't think that's really the case right now with all the companies that are getting slammed. But you get the picture when you see these companies getting obliterated and pounded and beat up some down 50 and 60%, and it looked like a good deal. Wow, look at that. Man, it looks like that should be a decent buy point right there, doesn't it? And then fast forward a month, they're down another 20%. It's like somebody took another sledgehammer just to finish them off. Now, where did all this start? We started talking about this over the last several months, about the idea that, well... When we have higher rates, the potential for a slowing economic condition, and with that in mind, the go-go stocks, the high-tech names that utilize 
the growth opportunity for the future growth, not just steady eddies, where they're providing for decent growth right now, consistency of growth right now, maybe even decent dividends and buybacks. No, I'm talking about those stocks that promise to have the opportunity to have a lot of money be made sometime in the future. You know, you've heard of them as, oh, this is the next Amazon. This is the next Apple. You know, right? You've heard this. So what happened was that we saw all these names that came out and all the pump and pomp and circumstance come in and everybody had a lot of money because there was money flushed in through all sorts of different liquidity measures. Rates were low. So that's how this all started. Where it went to was the reality as rates started at least being talked up by the Fed. It was not so bad because these companies were still going to be do well and they could weather the storm. And then as all of a sudden a revelation was born, the reality of some of these companies really came to the fore. I think it's Warren Buffett or somebody said, you know, when the tide is high, it's very difficult to see any of the problems. But when that tide is down and when low tide comes in, you see all of the beer cans and condoms and broken glass all in the sand on the beach. And when we started to see that the Fed was no longer going to participate in the high level of liquefaction of the markets through their quantitative easing program. And when we saw that the reality of Biden's build back better plan for infrastructure, as well as personal infrastructure was not going to be passed. And when there was going to be the opportunity for all this additional money to be flushed in, not happen because they didn't have the votes and they didn't have the political ability to do so. What happened is Reality smacked right in the face of where we are today. Before any notion of something erupting in Russia slash Ukraine. And even though there was this idea that much of the rate hikes were priced in, and even if rates continue to rise, there was some thought that, again, some specific area stocks, particular names, would, would just do just fine. But then we saw the Facebook fiasco. And all of a sudden, there was another reality check where we saw that, well, maybe if these big boys aren't going to be able to do well and they're projecting that they're going to have a reduced amount of, of revenue slash earnings and subscribers are down and daily active users and all the different metrics that are used to look at social media, that these strong companies that everybody had a buy on, no sells at all. Well, maybe we need to pay a little bit more attention to some of these other companies that don't have all these earnings. And it flipped back and forth, Right. That was what was fantastically fascinating about what happened during the period when these massive mega cap uh, growth, the technology companies, reported. Because this, this report by Facebook that put a shiver in the spine of many hardcore tech investors was relieved when they saw what happened with the likes of Google and, to a degree, Apple and Microsoft. And what happened there was a renewed thought that, well, you know, the economy's doing pretty well and the employment number's doing pretty well. We see wage growth plodding along pretty well. And, you know, on top of that, we're seeing that there is the opportunity for the Fed to really be increasing rates due to the fact that we have higher prices. And the higher prices are really being pushed on in form of CPI and Companies are able to push it, and uh, there's really no laydown in earnings at this point, so that's good news. However, for every one of the really great numbers that came in, there was probably one that had massive problems. I'm going to show what happened with Netflix dropping off a cliff after their earnings, right? 
So maybe not so much on the surface, but there was a lot of expectations that were unrealized and stocks were totally and completely harpooned. And it was, it was this, this, you know, this, this continuation of selling into the idea that, well, maybe things aren't as good as they thought they were going to be. Now we fast forward and rates continue to climb and throughout the, uh, the, the, the couple the month of January, for example, we, we, we start, and even to a degree in, in February, we started to get the idea that, oh, you know what? There was a potential for a 50 basis point move and a much faster Fed. And, and that was something that really took markets out of their kilter. When Bullard came out and he started talking on that Friday about a 50 basis point move, I was like, oh, what? How, why are we doing that? Again, we described it as a trial balloon. We described it as this moment when the Fed was just testing the waters to see what was going on. And they're full of crap. We know that because they have an inability innately to forecast anything. So we know that. Forget that. Move along. When we see that there was this move next, where everybody was thinking that rates were just going to slam higher and we saw the tenure move vertically up. And we had talked about there was no way in hell that the Fed was going to be able to move interest rates up that quickly because the financial conditions were already rolling over. And that happening so quickly. And then you add to that the conflict that was brewing and then abruptly broke out in Russia and in Ukraine there was no way that totally sealed the fate of the double hike possibility. And therein lies the problem of where we are today. And that's what I want to talk about. Because we are in probably what we can consider an impossible situation right now. So hold that thought for a second. Just hang on to that because I want to go over that. I want to go to go over historical geopolitical events and what happened historically with select events over time, one month, three months, and a year later, just to get a perspective on what's happening now. But first, let's talk about Masterworks. So let me ask you a question. Hyena or cheetah? Which would you rather be? Now, keep that in mind as I tell you about what scientists call pursuit predation. That's when animals watch each other's backs. As with markets, as volatile as they have been, you need someone watching your back too. That's why I'm excited to talk about Masterworks. They offer an asset that 85% of wealth managers believe that is to be included in their wealth management offerings, according to Deloitte. And I'm talking about blue chip art, backed by an experienced art research team. Masterworks securitizes multi-million dollar paintings and allows members to buy shares representing an investment in that artwork. So you can invest in them for a fraction of the full cost of the artwork. Like hyena packs who take down elephants. That's the answer. You want to be a hyena. Get priority access and join over 340,000 members on Masterworks with my unique link. Go to masterworks.art slash TDI. That's masterworks.art, A-R-T, slash TDI. Also see important regulation A disclosures at masterworks.io slash about slash disclosure. Getting back to this, this idea of here we are in a situation in which it is really a very difficult situation to deal with, maybe even impossible. I mean, inflation is moving up and then blasted off even more with the latest rise of oil and foodstuffs. Employment in the U.S. is doing really well. 3.8% the last read we saw last Friday. Good numbers Friday overall on the payroll additions. But there's a real problem now. There's a real problem because that inflation that was supposed to be transitory, wasn't. We were supposed to see 
oh, just a little bit of inflation for a little bit of time, and that would be it. And, oh, here we are now with a situation that is much stickier than we thought it would be. However, with that in mind, I do believe that this round of higher prices due to the war and the conflict that we're seeing with Russia and Ukraine and all the other parties that are involved will actually reverse somewhat compared to the other inflation that we were having due to the demand. The inflation that we're seeing right now is not demand-based, it's fear-based. What we're seeing is certain areas of the markets really profoundly move oil, natural gas, corn and wheat, gold and silver. We're seeing things that are moving due to conflict, due to concern that we can have an existential problem within the area that could spread versus a demand issue. So we could turn around and, and separate this, say this a little bit differently. Right now, there is a per perceived long-term supply issue that could become a problem, which it may, but at the same time, it may not. And if, in fact, this long-term supply becomes a problem, I'm here to tell you that it will probably fix itself in terms of prices longer term due to the fact that we have higher prices that will prohibit a lot of buying that goes on. So in other words, the solution, once again, for higher prices is higher prices. So there's a few caveats, of course. I mean, if we do see an Iran deal that comes out, I'm not saying I agree with this and just telling you how prices could come down, we would probably see some relief very quickly in the price of crude oil. And, and it seems it's going to happen probably. Unless Iran wants to just do more damage to the global economy, which they may very well want to do that. But the fact is that right now the concern about having sanctions on Russian oil, which Vladimir Putin has said that would also be an act of war, may or may not happen. If it does, it would cause rates on crude and Brent to move up substantially. Again, I do believe that will be transitory. And transit, what do I mean by transport? It's, I don't mean one week. I mean, though, it, it will probably spike and then come down precipitously once and if that happens. The biggest concern right now, and this is a turn for what I'm about to tell you, a change in my opinion in what I was saying for some time, Europe. Europe has become a very big concern. And we're reevaluating and, and taking a hard look at positioning there. Because if this conflict moves on much further, or even, even if it doesn't move on, but it, it becomes much more part of the everyday, it's going to be much more painful for Europe than it will be for the U.S., and again, once we again have the prospect of a shutdown and then a startup reopening economy as the world is shutting down Russia, the world is ganging up. Even, uh, even with the fact that Russia's GDP is not that big of a deal, there is something to be said about the parts of their GDP that we are all reliant on to a degree and how, more importantly, it shapes the global trade, and how it provides for pricing pressures in various different areas. What will it take for countries to open back Russia? Anyway, this impossible situation that I'm talking about here, the combination of, of inflation and a Fed that wants to increase rates, and now Russia becoming a big problem with their invasion and now barking out all sorts of concerning responses and the world, both both private and, and sovereign. I mean, have you ever seen anything like this? It's fascinating. Companies, individuals, countries are saying, you know what? 
What you did is not allowed. We are shutting you down. We are suffocating you. We are taking steps to totally uh, emasculate the financial sector in such a way that there is not going to be anything left. We are going to punish you. We are going to clamp down so hard that we're not going to allow you to breathe financially. Closing down access to their banks, access to their products, company after company saying, we're not even doing any business. And you know what? Well, let's just lay off everybody there. Stock market in Russia has been closed for the better part of a week now. The value, the NAV of the RSX, the ETF that is traded here in the U.S. like a dollar fifty. Absurd moves on some of these names. And where we are now and where we are going is back to this question about what is going to be this reopen? What is it going to take countries to go back? And is there going to even be a way for countries to, even if Russia backed down, are we just going to say, okay, thank you, that's it? Or are we going to try to hold their feet to the fire? Are we going to try to say, you know what, we are going to keep these sanctions on to make sure you Act on your best behavior, Mr. Putin. And then you have to look at what the reverberations could be. Are we going to see more nationalism, which we are seeing? Maybe good in a way, but also very troubling. As we now enter a period on top of what we saw from the pandemic of selective isolationism. Selective isolationism, as I see it, is where we're going to say, you know, we can't allow this to happen to us. What if we do something that pisses off the world somehow, some way? When I say we, I'm talking about a country somewhere. And all of a sudden, they all gang up on this. Think about the the way that we're seeing the multitude of people utilizing cryptocurrencies in the DAOs, the DAOs, right? And coming off trying to buy sports teams, artwork. What if they gang up in a different way? Do you remember when on TikTok there was that situation where everybody was convinced to buy tickets to a Trump rally only not to go and be embarrassing when they figured out that all the tickets were bought by people that never intended to go just to make the rally and President Trump look bad? Do you remember that? Think about the power of what that is and how now what we're doing now to Russia, which I don't necessarily disagree with, of course, because we should suffocate them for what they're doing right now. But think about, there are plenty of countries that are wondering like, oh, hmm, we better be on best behavior. And when we look at this selective isolationism, it could be part nationalism, but at the same part, it's the reverse, the underside, or, or I should say the 180 degrees of what is and has been known as globalism. And in a time where we are trying to reopen and rebuild the supply chains, when you, when you move over into a, 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 an isolationism style of conduct, it's only going to get worse. The remarkable speed at which countries and private industries shut down operations in, 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 in Russia. And by the way, the estimate is that that's going to shrink their GDP by at least 35% just with the sanctions and what's being done to, to provide for financial um, limitations on the country. 35% contraction. And we're putting... Vladimir Putin up against a wall. We're not even talking about their stock market. As of now, is a non-touch. Can't even get involved with that. I mean, there were some possible areas that could have been looked at, but with the sanctions that were put on this week again, mid part of this week, no way. Not even sure when their stock market's going to reopen again. And that is having reverberations on top of what's going on with the Fed, who did in fact back off from what they said, and they're probably going to be 20 to uh, simply 25 basis points on their March 
17th meeting. And I would assume they're probably going to have a, a, a new dovish tilt to their discussion because they have to. Now, as I mentioned, let's talk about how those reverberations of what's going on with, with Russia and how that's really been a problem for markets around the world. I have some things I just want to rattle off to you. The five-day returns in some areas that really were problematic and the year-to-date. Um, for example, we've seen, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the idea that some of these companies in technology that were the big winners and the disruptors and the idea that, oh, we'll call it the ARC Fund, Kathy Wood, down 37% year-to-date, down 11% this week, whereas we see gold up 4% for this week, up 7.5%. And silver up 5.5% for the week, 9.9% for the year. Oil up 20% last week, 20% last week. And these are ETFs that I'm rattling off to you right now. 46% for year-to-date. Energy shares, the XLE, up 9% last week and up 35% year-to-date. Bitcoin is down 15% year-to-date, which I find fascinating when I contrast that to what is gold because remember, Bitcoin was all, it's digital gold, it's digital gold. No, not so much. Emerging markets had an interesting week. Here's one I want to share with you. Valuation-based before some of this nonsense started, there was some good opportunity that I saw there. I still think there's a lot of good opportunity in emerging markets. Let me share this one thing with you. Emerging markets down 5.7 for the week. Contrast that to the S&P that was down 1.25 for the week, or even the Russell 2000 small caps down 2.5 for the week. However, the S&P 500 down 9% for the year. The um, e, uh, EEM, which is the emerging markets, down about 8.6 for the year, but 5.7 came last week. In other words, was holding up a lot better until last week. The growth side of the large cap equation down 14.89% for the week. The value area only down three. If you remember something I talked about in our diversified portfolios, we were tilting and we've been doing this for some time towards value. When the yield curve starts changing as much as it have with the idea that there was the potential for higher rates in the future, you want to stay near your energy and forget about what's going on with energy because of oil prices right now because that's ridiculous. Put that aside. Let's look at a normal environment where we are on a rate increase path. So there, there's a lot of divergence that's happening right now. It's been very difficult to really consider hedging because if you did, in fact, hedge last week, where you saw what would you hedge? Well, are you going to look at the Dow Jones area? Are you going to look at the Russell 2000? They're down 2%, 1% for the week. The Russell 1000 value down 0.44% for the week. We had a 2.7% day last week, right? We had a 2.2% down day. At the end of the week, if it wasn't for Friday, if it wasn't for Friday, markets would have been up. You would have been exacting on this. And I got to tell you that what I'm seeing right now with the way that markets are actually playing out with the selling, it's looking a little panicky. Some of our indicators are starting to turn up in a divergence from where they are when we saw what happened over the last few weeks and the amount of damage that has been done to charts leaves you very little opportunity in some areas to really rely on a daily chart. You have to either do something very short term or go back to a monthly chart maybe and look at that. I would much rather at this time, at this moment right now, just at this, this, this juncture, rely a little bit more on fundamentals. Yes, the fundamentals of companies that are, have good earnings power have seen consistency in their revenue, in their earnings, in looking at things like high ROE or return on equity. Look at things that management is doing so well. Those management companies and, and companies that can do a lot to either buy uh, other companies that aren't doing so well. Some of this makes a great opportunity for companies to go out and actually buy at a cheap price some of their competitors. So opportunities are here. And in times like these, it's when you want to start looking at that. 
You want to look at where the opportunity is. And I am thinking right now with all the panic and with the backdrop of a really decent economic situation that could start to fail if we see an elongated uh, war cycle. And if the war does, God forbid, come here in some way, I don't mean necessarily on our soil per se, but our involvement really ratchets up significantly. I think the hysteria right now is real. And I think it's viable and I'm not at all going to minimize it. I think it's, it, it, it's something we need to really pay attention to at the same time. I think there's great opportunities and I would be hard pressed to really be on, on either side of the discussion of absolutely going to happen this or absolutely going to happen that I think we have to look at history and let's do that. Let's take a look at historical geopolitical events, just a few of them, and see what's happened one week, one month, three months. And this, remember, markets often are discounting mechanisms. What they do is they look for what is going to happen and price that in hopefully efficiently, and then from there, act on it. So in other words, if we know something is going to happen, then maybe... That was always already priced in. Great example of that would be the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki back in 1945. One week after the bombings, markets were up 0.65% in the U.S. This is uh, the S&P. Or, um, actually, this is the, both a combination depending on where we were. Dow Jones uh, up to 1960 and S&P 500 after that. But it was up 0.64. Three months later, up 15%. Six months later, up 26%. So maybe some of that was already priced in. You look at the Cuban Missile Crisis, and when that happened in 1962 in October, markets were down 6% over the next week. But you know what? Over the next six months, up 20%. Now, there's plenty of other areas. For example, the Nixon impeachment proceedings. In uh, October of 1973, one week after this went down, we had a loss of about 5.5% of the markets, and that continued down. And we saw actually markets down about 33% one year after the fact. But you will, that's one of the outliers, because if you look at things like the World Trade Center bombing, the markets were up 0.85% that week, up 2.28% in three months, up 15% in six months, up 20, excuse me, let me go, let me go, excuse me, up 4% in six months and 5.5% in one year. U.S. coal, coal, coal bombing, that uh, was in 2000. And of course, that was the, I would say, beginning of the concern about the dot-com bubble. So was the coal bombing and 9-11 really related to that? because it, it's passed into 2001 of 9-11, where the markets were down 5.5%, but we're up in the one-month, three-month, and six-month period after, after that. Russia invading Crimea in February of 2014. In one week, the markets were up 1.4%, and then three months, 3.2%, and 8%, and then one year later, 15.4%. Now, where are we now? One week after Russia invaded Ukraine on 224 Markets were up 3.27%. And now they're vacillating back and forth because we're getting all this information out there. My point is that war or event or politics or any of these news headline-driven situations that happen in the markets do not necessarily spell disaster or good. I think what we need to do is make sure you go back and listen to the episodes that we were talking about diversification. We were talking about what you have to believe is your time frame, which I want to talk about again here. And, and, and some of the things that, that happen historically are just that. You have to look past that for opportunities. Don't panic. Because when you panic... And I, I had a talk with a friend, and, and I think I mentioned this on the last show, that, that when the market dropped 1,000 points, he called up his broker, he sold 20% of his portfolio. I said, what did you do that for? So, I don't know, I panicked. But with all that we've talked about, you probably want to know some answers to some questions. Where are we in this cycle? Is this selling done? Is this just the beginning, or is this the end?
And with all that we talked about, all the headwinds and a madman wreaking havoc and hard to tell what other shoes are going to drop, but we are starting to see some serious panic selling in some areas of the market with, at the same time, interestingly enough, a divergence going on. And what I mean by that is we're actually starting to see some indicators pick up a little bit, not flashing a sell signal. I find that really interesting. Now, do I think we're going to go back immediately right back up to the, the, the highs? No. If the Fed gets a little bit more pessimistic and the Fed backs off and, and has more of a reality check, a reality check, yes, of where they are, and maybe, maybe if somehow a, a, a political and a dialogue, a political dialogue can be created. I mean, over the last couple of days, we heard about a ceasefire. Then they, they, that was good. And now Israel is brokering something and talking with Putin. A lot more possible for a resolution with dialogue that is happening. However... At the same time, I do not put anything past Putin at this point. He seems like he is, uh, I guess, on the warpath. <laughs> he has the point, right? He is. He's angry. He's going to let anybody step in his way. But maybe it's justified as the thought that we are seeing this panic selling is justified because there's a lot to panic about. Is this going to escalate? I mean, I don't know. Are we going to see stagflation, which is which is something that's starting to, we're starting to see a little bit more about that conversation, or even worse, a near-term recession? And I think that there is the possibility in Europe of seeing a technical recession due to the high prices and what's going on there. But the best way to handle all this is something that we've talked about time and time again. And I really do hope that you've taken these discussions to heart and done something, acted upon them, did Go and actively persuade yourself to make adjustments in your portfolio and dollar cost average. If, in fact, you are also one of the ones that pulled your money out in a panic, you have to have a plan. You're happy right now that your money's out. You're going to be happy 10 years from now, five years, four years. What if things get better? Are you going to be satisfied with the fact that you have 30% of your portfolio sitting out forever? Or what are you going to do? Dollar cost average, DCA, into your portfolio, just like we do for our clients on a regular basis. And what we've done, by the way, the diversification, which is the second part of that, has really helped because we have gold and we have silver in the portfolio. We have alternative assets. We have a good chunk of... of, of um, of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, bonds, of course, in the in portfolios, in the short-term and short maturities. But now's the time to look at that and do a time horizon check. Okay, here we go. Listen up. Here we are. It's time for you to do a time horizon check. What the heck does that even mean? Oh, what are we going to do? Here's what I want you to think about. Stop for a second. Forget about everything that's going on everywhere. Just for a moment, just for a moment. Then you can go back to all the worrying and concern and dealing with this. But just for a second, let's talk about where are you five and 10 years from now? You're probably like, well, uh, probably invested. I, I put things back in the market. Well, you need to do something that is consistent with that goal actively rather than just thinking about it. We all get anxious. We all get concerned. Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to lay it down for you right now. I, too, get a little freaked out about things every once in a while as time goes on with different events that come up. I remember when I first started hearing about the potential lockdowns about the pandemic. I made some calls to my family. I said, go to the bank, get thousands of dollars out in cash, just sit on it right now. They said, you're nuts. I said, just do it. We don't know what's going to happen. And I got to tell you, just this last week, there was another moment when I heard and read the stories that the Russians were attacking the nuclear energy facility in Ukraine, one of the largest facilities in Europe, and that it was on fire. And there was speculation 
that there was an increase in the overall radiation, I freaked out. I was with my wife and I said, uh, I got to talk. I, I got to talk about this because something is really wrong. This has become a bigger problem than I could even imagine. Who in their right minds would be attacking a nuclear facility? What kind of insanity is this? And it got me really upset. The hair on the back of my neck was standing up. When Putin said it's going to be an active war if we allow for no-fly zones, that's pretty nerve-wracking for all of us, for any of us. But earthquakes and storms and natural disasters, and yes, war, and recessions, financial fraud, the list goes on that we have seen and we are going to see. Much of these types of events are somewhat isolated in time. They feel like they move, don't, don't they feel like they move in slow motion as they're happening? And the list that we just went through, the, the list of historical geopolitical political events, a lot more on this list. I just gave a few of them. But many of them, when you look out in time, rectify themselves in terms of the market, which has to be translated in that to mean this. If there's a massive downstroke in markets, but sometime in the future, markets are better due to the fact that we have a great number of companies that can really do well over time and adjust and fix, then don't we also have to admit that when markets go down, there's an opportunity somewhere, somewhere, not, all, not, not right away, but opportunities present themselves. That is not a time to all of a sudden assume that your time horizon, that time horizon we were checking, is one day. Nobody listening to this show has a time horizon of zero. There's no way. You are thinking about some time into the future, protecting your family, Saving for college, retiring, riding off into the sunset. So to an extent, these events, again, create opportunity for those of you that could recognize and realize that you have a time horizon sometime greater than, ah, I'll call it five years, 10 years. If that's the case, does any of this really matter? Now, of course... If we get into World War III and we experience a nuclear holocaust, none of it matters anyway. Uh, okay. But if we get something in between that's really just this terrible situation, we could have a real problem, right? Okay, I give you that too. That's why you have the diversification that you have. But you have to be very careful with how you present yourself when you pull money out of the market or when you start pushing money back into the market. You need to have a very, very, very good outlook. Um, not a positive outlook. I'm not even saying that. It could be a negative outlook. But a reality check. A reality check. And that's really what I want you to take away from this episode. That we have an impossible situation. We realize we're dealing with a madman. We have inflation that is a problem, probably transitory for this last part although the part before that is probably going to stay here for a while. And that you need to look at where we are today. The best we could do is look at past occurrences of similar situations and speculate what is the longer-term outcome. And we're talking about decades from the 40s to the 2020s. We're talking about 80 years, eight decades of different situations that occur and the outlook for what happens for companies. Now, I'm just talking about stock markets. I'm not talking about individual companies right now where some of them could have a really great advantage, like maybe defensive companies. Or, which I found fascinating, the last rotation we did this week, tons of energy companies became part of the TDI managed growth strategy. We hardly ever get financials and energy companies into there because they don't meet the criteria. They do now, which is telling us something. Really fascinating. 
And by the way, if you want more information about any of those strategies, whether it's investology, whether it's the um, how we, in fact, dollar cost average and help you out so to make sure that you're not freaking out all the time about what's going on with your finances and how we diversify your portfolio, just go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com, click on the Ask Andrew button, the contact button, take a look at the the, the few, we have, a, we have a, 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 a great little mini virtual tour video on the TDI Managed Growth Strategy. If you haven't looked at that, go to the site under our strategies, click on that and check it out. With that in mind, let's let's have a positive outlook right now. Just, just our, do our best to maintain a reality check that is reasonable, exempt of any panic, and do what we know is best for us long term. Big reality check, a check on the fact that we have to look at our time horizon correctly. And that will be a long way to helping you reach your financial goals. Listen, thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining me this week and every week. Thanks for joining me on DH Unplugged. Thanks for coming aboard. And uh, I'm here for you, anything you need. I'll see you again promptly next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. Horowitz & Company.